Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the big talking points in football. I mean, McGarry, and with me as always is our transfer guru, Mr. Duncan Castles. Uh, today, we will be bringing you news of what I think can reasonably be described as the sale of the 21st century uh, regarding one of Europe's and the world's most sought after players, as well as news elsewhere on the movement of certain uh, very distinguished and uh, coveted players from Germany and for you Newcastle United fans and those of you who of course count Newcastle as your second team because everybody loves the Geordies uh, news about the managerial situation at St James's Park. The Dunkey will also be featuring uh, late in the pod. Uh, and of course, it will indeed be a big announcement. Uh, look out for the fanfare that we're going to be providing you with as well. But let's start, Duncan, with uh, Erling Brout Haaland. Um, as I said in the introduction to the podcast, uh, one of the most sought after players in world football, um, even more so since his move to Borussia Dortmund. Um, lots and lots of speculation regarding um, the notion that he will be um, spending less time potentially in Germany than a lot of people expected because, of course, he only moved there this season. Um, he has been very successful in terms of his goal-scoring conversion as well as the fact that his release clause of 60 million euros doesn't kick in for another 18 months. Therefore, anyone trying to buy him will be expected to pay over that particular amount this summer um, if they intend to buy him. Uh, obviously, he is a Norwegian international as well. Um, interest, Duncan, we know from Real Madrid, who have yet to um, find a long-term replacement uh, for Karim Benzema, who, uh, despite now being in his early 30s, has been sensational uh, in the last few months in terms of his own goal-scoring feats. Um, I think Barcelona would have to be interested, although we know and have reported extensively on their financial problems in terms of debt repayments and the amount of money that they owe to their various lenders. But again, with the prospect of Leo Messi leaving the camp now in the summer, then certainly uh, the socios will expect a big name arrive on someone to replace those 
20 plus, 30 plus, 40 plus goals a season that Messi has been bringing for the last 15 years. Um, I think what's interesting, Duncan, in terms of information as well, is that this isn't just a footballing decision, an economic decision on Dortmund's part, is it? This is actually something to do with how they view Haaland and his character that they are now effectively putting him on the market. Yeah, that's the key point here. Haaland's only been at Dortmund for one year, signed in the middle of last season um, from Salzburg, another club where he's played for just one year, moving from uh, Uli Gunnar Solskjaer's former Norwegian club Molde in January 2019 and actually has a, a strong relationship with Solskjaer, which is one that Solskjaer tried to exploit to convince him uh, and his former football playing father, um, Alfinger Haaland, that uh, Manchester United was the right f- move for him last January. Um, sort of well documented that United balked at the proposal of his agent, Mino Raiola, that there be a release clause involved in that contract because they don't want to be seen to sign players uh, and have a be a, a pathway to them moving elsewhere in European football and have that release clause particularly held by someone like Raiola um, hanging over their head during the course of the contract. Um, information I have, the interesting part is that Dortmund, are, I am told, are not going to stand in the way of a sale this summer. Um, they, there, are, there are a couple of dimensions to this, one of which is financial. Um, and Dortmund have been hit very hard by COVID. Um, they're a club who have invested cleverly um, and, and built their status from buying young players around Europe, giving them a platform to develop and selling them on um, at high prices. But the that the flow on the transfer market has dried up to a certain extent. Their costs um, have remained the same because they, they do reward their players with substantial contracts to convince them to come there. Um, and obviously, like all of the other clubs in European football, no spectators in the stadium, um, the the balance sheet starts to hurt. Um, what I'm told is Haaland is top of their list of potential sales. They're, he's the one they feel they can get the most money from. And their calculation is based not just on um, that idea you can get the biggest transfer fee for him and hopefully sell him for more than his release clause, um, which doesn't kick in until the following summer and is said to be 75 million euros. So they hope they can get 100 million euros plus this summer. Um, But also they feel that actually, regardless of the fact his scoring rate in the Bundesliga and the Champions League has been exceptionally good. So playing for Dortmund for that half season last year, 13 goals in 15 Bundesliga matches, 15 and 16 this season. Champions League, playing for Dortmund and Salzburg, uh, 10 goals in eight Champions League last season, eight and five this season. Despite that, Dortmund's calculation is that overall, he has not been the best addition for their team. Um, Although his numbers are excellent, the team's performance has declined. They've already sacked one coach this season, Lucien Favre, to try and turn things around. They this week announced that they would be appointing or um, 
using uh, the Borussia Mönchengladbach coach Marco Rose um, to come in and replace uh, Favre's assistant in the summer. So they're making substantial changes to their coaching staff for the second time in a year. And when it comes to their league position, they are just uh, sixth in the Bundesliga um, and currently 16 points behind Bayern Munich, who are top of the division and you know obviously well out of the running for that title. And Dortmund see themselves as a club who should be at, at worst second to Bayern in the Bundesliga and they want to try and take the title off the, the German powerhouses. So the, their calculation is that although Haaland himself and his numbers have been very good, that the team as a whole has not benefited from having him in uh, their setup. And they think it's partly to do with the way that Haaland plays, that he is um, individualistic, he likes space to play in. Um, he's a very self-confident individual. Um, I'm told he's rubbed up some of, of the other players in the Dortmund camp in, in the wrong way. And, you know, taking all of these factors into consideration, the economic part that the, the team isn't doing as well, that he would be the most sellable asset because there is always a market for a goal scorer of his type. Still just 20 um, if physique is such that very appealing, particularly to English clubs, one meter 94, that the, 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 the strategic move is to put him on the market, take the money uh, and use that for other areas of the team. Uh, going forward into next season and try and build something that is more competitive in the Bundesliga without him. It's a very strange scenario, Duncan, uh, in in that a player who has been at the club and who there was so much hype around where he would end up. Obviously, we reported extensively on the transfer window, um, Manchester United's interest. Um, as well as of many other clubs, because you know who didn't want Erling Haaland when he was available from um, from RB. It, the the fact that he went to Dortmund was a little bit of a surprise, although you get the feeling, because of course um, his agent is Mino Raiola, that maybe there was a plan in place all along um, regarding his career path and how quickly. He went to uh, a very much elite club in um, world football. Uh, as I said um, earlier in the pod, Real Madrid have been constantly mentioned um, as a potential uh, place where he would play his football next season. Um, it almost seems to me to be a very German thing in in the, in the way that. Dortmund are looking at this, where uh, you know the needs of the Mannschaft uh, um, are greater than that of the one um, in this case, uh, and Haaland himself and his father, who uh, is very much um, in cahoots with Raiola regarding his career um, path and indeed progression, um, have. A very much a plan in mind and see it as uh, going much quicker than perhaps some people would have expected, i.e. Dortmund is considered to be a very um, progressive club where young players 
can actually uh, become better and develop. And you're suggesting that Dortmund believe that he, uh, Haaland himself, has not actually become a better player since he's been there, which unlike um, other players like Jadon Sancho, um, who have progressed quite quickly um, to be much more um, accomplished and technical players, it seems like Haaland is not really, um, well, I guess he's, he's certainly um, equal their expectation in terms of goal conversion, but not necessarily as a footballer. Yeah, look, I, I talked to someone who specialises in, in assessing uh, players' performances and their development paths and, and asked him about this and, and he said he'd, he'd, he'd run some numbers on Haaland and, and he said well, while his on-the-ball contribution and his numbers have stayed at the same level um, and he's, he's contributing goals and assists, his off-the-ball contribution has declined. Um, during his period at Dortmund, which would fit with this um, information that Dortmund feel he is too um, self-focused on, on his performance. And look, this is not an unusual uh, happening in, in modern football. It's not unusual, particularly when your father is a former player. Um, you know, we can. I, I, I don't want to put Frank Lampard in the in the same boat as Haaland here by by no means that because Lampard was a player who contributed to the team and was part of some very very successful um, club sides. But you Ian can tell the story about how, how Frank's father, as he was coaching him and bringing him up with the idea of being the most successful professional footballer he could be, told him, you know, focus on your pace, get as, as quick as possible because that matters in, in uh, top-level football, but score, focus on scoring goals because there will always be a market for a goal-scoring midfielder. Everyone wants goal-scoring midfielders. Now, that's, what, 20 years ago that was happening with Lampard. Now you're in an age where... Um, players' salaries are massively greater than the, the, the top salaries of that period, um, where players' status, where players' social media status, where, the, where their ability to be elevated beyond the club is greater than it's ever been. And, and it's one of the factors that managers and clubs have to deal with. And, you know, we can go with Tomino Raiola, who is notorious, if you want to choose one word, for pushing his players to believe they're the best and to confront their coaches when uh, they feel the coach isn't uh, using them in the best fashion uh, to suit their career. Uh, and you've got the example of Paul Pogba, the obvious example of Paul Pogba and Mino Raiola, and that kind of um, conversation going on where Raiola has been telling Pogba, you're the best in the world and you'll become the best in the world. And when the, when he wasn't performing in the Manchester United team at certain points, making an argument that he had to be played in a specific position in the field and he was being asked to do too much defensive work and he had to, that had to change so that Manchester United could get the best out of um, Paul Pogba and Paul Pogba could get the best out of Manchester United. So there is a, there's a pattern to this and it's something which clubs have to deal with. Um, you talk about clubs that are interested. Yes, Real Madrid are definitely um, one of the clubs in the conversation here. I think it has to be in, in Holland's case and then um, 
in Real Madrid's case, Kylian Mbappe is the key figure. That's the preferred purchase. So it's a question of whether Mbappe moves this summer. But um, my understanding is that uh, Raiola would be keen to get Haaland to Real Madrid and, and there is a significant interest there. And then obviously Manchester United are prominent. Solskjaer just this week gave an interview in Norway where he talked uh, about many subjects, but one of them he was asked in, in great detail about was Haaland and he answered in, in great detail about him um, and said, when asked if he was interested in signing the player, he said, we are going to do what we can to become a better team. And he, Haaland, will do what he can to become a better player. Where he ends up, I do not want to say anything else. I wish him all the best. What choice he makes is up to him. So not uh, not calming that fire at all. Um, and there will be interest from the biggest clubs in European football. And uh, you know, Dortmund aren't, aren't choosing a stupid strategy here. Um, when you have a, a striker with those kind of numbers, the likelihood is you will get a big transfer fee and there, there aren't many on the market. You know, we, we discussed in the last podcast whether Haaland was a, an option for Manchester City as they tried to replace Lionel Messi. Um, top strikers who can fit into these teams are, are limited in supply. Very true, Duncan. And also um, the case that, and you just, you know, you've inspired me there with uh, saying that uh, the notorious Mina Raiola, I think we can now call him Mina Raiolivers. Uh, and just fused that. Uh, so rather being uh, Kaiser Duck's pizza man who always gets his slice, it can be Mina Raiolivers as well. Um, it's certainly the case. Um, you, you've made reference to Frank Lampard and his dad, Frank Lampard Sr., and the way in which uh, there is a massive difference in terms of. Um, the father-son relationship and how that progressed a player's career. Um, anyone who ever has a chat with Frank um, and asks, you know, about his dad's influence on his career will tell you that he was a total nightmare because he was always <laughs> criticising him. And so uh, when you've got people like Ry- Ryolidris, uh telling you the best thing uh, ever to come out in football, uh, you know, Frank certainly never got that from his dad. It was always, you can be better, you can be better, you've got to work harder. Uh, and that's the way you're going to achieve everything in your career. Um, the thing that I'm kind of really quite curious um, about with regards to um, Haaland's sale is the rivalry in terms both of value and of availability with Mbappe because you would have to say that, you know, Mbappe is revered as the natural heir to Messi and Ronaldo as the future Ciro Ballon d'Or winner. Yet Haaland is producing similar figures in, again, what you could argue is, is a bigger league in the Bundesliga rather than Liga. Um, their figures in Champions League are comparable with regards to scoring goals. Um, different types of player, certainly, but Mbappe is valued much, much higher than Haaland, um, 50, 60 million higher um, for a player 
actually who's slightly older as well than Haaland. So you would have to say, um, are we all going to look at like, the fact that they're spending 500 million euros in refurbishing the Santiago Bernabeu that effectively, you know, economics in football are not great in terms of uh, the money being earned by clubs. Would they go for Haaland and just say, let's take a punt rather than splash out the extra 50, 60 million on Mbappe? But the only reason Mbappe is more expensive is, is he un- he's under control of Paris Saint-Germain, Qatar at present on transfer fee. I, Mbappe will be more expensive in salary for sure. And, the, you know, the, the, the indications from Paris Saint-Germain is if he signs a new contract, he, they will put him on the Neymar level salary, which, depending on what happens to Messi, will become the highest, equal highest salary in world football. Um, so that that's the kind of level that uh, that Mbappe can look for, and and will be looking for. Um, but you know the additional factor Mbappe will be out of contract in a year's time, so he has the decision to make as to whether he runs the contract down to that um, free agency point, and then has his choice of where he goes and all the money goes into his salary and uh, and his family's commission. Um, Haaland will be cheaper on wages, but you know, my information is Mbappe's ahead of, of Haaland. It's, it, it depends what happens with a number of, of factors in the market. There's a, there's a kind of musical chairs, which Lionel Messi's in, involved in here. Um, what is different with Haaland is that Dortmund are ready to sell. Uh, you you've got a willing um, seller uh, and probably a willing mover. Haaland, one player who is uh, interesting, of course, some of the biggest clubs in the world, as is um, a defender, David Alaba, uh, who has been a stalwart of uh, a serial winning Bayern Munich side, both in Germany and also, of course, Champions League and World Club Cup winners recently as well. He is being marketed to anyone and everyone who will listen to his agent. And of course, we at the transfer window uh, have contacts with um, his agent and the relative representatives around Alaba. Now, you will probably have seen reports um, that Alaba is looking for a contract worth around £400,000 per week. Therefore, it's his last contract. He's out uh, of contract. He's under freedom of contract now from Bayern after 13 years at the club. He um, therefore is able to sign and negotiate a new deal with a new club. He has since made it public. That is his intention to leave Bayern Munich um, in the summer. And what we are hearing, Duncan, is that so far there have been no offers at the valuation of contract which Alba and his agents are asking for. Now, he can play centre-back, as we know, but he's also uh, quite um, versatile in the sense that he can play across the back four. Um, at 28, he is in the prime of his career. And of course, 
uh, if we were to compare him, Duncan, to the likes of Virgil van Dijk and Harry Maguire, uh, you would have to say that he ranks um, very, very well in terms of his ability and indeed, of course, his winning mentality and experience um, with the Bavarian club. Is it a surprise to you that no one's bitten yet at that asking price or do you think that maybe his agents are being a little bit optimistic with regards to that price? Um, it doesn't surprise me that he hasn't got a taker at that price at the moment. I mean, Bayern tried very hard to retain Alaba um, in the last, basically in the last transfer window and tried to get him tied down to a new deal and could not come to an agreement with him and um, his principal agent, Pini Zahavi, um, partly because of the both the salary demands and the demands for a commission on the deal, which are, which are also, I understand, substantial. Um, it's come at a bad time for Alaba and Zahavi in the sense that we are in a COVID market and there's a lot less money around for these deals and what would have seemed a high demand but a plausible demand for uh, a centre-back um, a year and a half ago uh, is now looking extremely expensive. Uh, Real Madrid are interested in the player. Uh, Florentino Perez is kind of using, I'm told, Alaba's availability in his uh, pretty public war with Sergio Ramos over a new contract and, and status at the club. Um, so that is uh, a card that Zahavi and Alaba can play. Um, he is extremely versatile. He's played midfield, left back, um, centre back frequently. He was a player that Pep Guardiola used to very good effect during his time at, at Bayern. Um, used his tactical versatility to good effect. I think you have to factor in here if you're making a decision as a club on that level of contract for a player, not so much how old he is, but how long he's been playing for. And he, he broke into the Bayern team as a teenager. Um, he's had a lot of football um, in his career. The last two seasons, he's not got up to um, full uh, availability in the Bundesliga. Um, he also has had a few you know, semi-empty um, years. So that there is a concern of, of physical availability there uh, and whether you'd be taking him at, at a point where rather than being at the peak of his career, he's, he's on a downward slide. Um, I, you know, we've seen clubs make mistakes in that regard on a number of occasions recently. Football gets more and more physical. It's more demanding. Um, in terms of intensity in the field. I think there's some information that Alaba is keen, much keener to move to Spain than he is to the Premier League. And that might not simply be a, a lifestyle decision or the attractiveness of the league. He might be making a, a kind of rational choice that at this stage of his career, that the league in which he'll perform better is the Spanish league rather than the English league. That is certainly the case, but apart from the amount of notes on his glockenspiel, as we might say in terms of his mileage. Um, there has been a lot of interest from um, top English Premier League clubs in centre-backs 
okay, uh, Manchester City's um, interests may have waned slightly since the um, re-emergence of John Stones um, as a competent and uh, uh, the kind of centre-half that they thought they were buying four years ago. I guess with the fees being paid, Duncan, and by that I mean the money paid for Virgil van Dijk, for Harry Maguire, etc. Um, with Alaba on a free, um, you could say effectively you're getting a bit of a bargain, even if you are paying him uh, between 18 and 20 million euros per season for four years because you're not having to pay the 80 or 85 million pounds um, and above price tag that both Liverpool and Manchester United fought out for for their centre halves, so there is um, a kind of economic calculation to be made there with regards to what you're getting for your money. Yeah, but it, that's still five year deal, hundred million euros on salary. Let's say uh, the agents asking for a twenty percent commission that takes it to one hundred twenty million, and those prices for Van Dijk and Maguire, well, Maguire would never be sold for that money to any other club anywhere um, that was a very very poor decision by Manchester United driven by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and one that's, that's at the heart of their weaknesses at present the, the probably the biggest handicap on them at the moment is this commitment to using Maguire regardless of his performance is something even Gary Neville has, has commented on that, that a close friend of the, of the precious one Solskjaer um, and Van Dijk, I don't think could get that money in in this current market either. So, so those we are talking about a different reality now. Um, agents, I think, are looking at most of the European clubs, with the exception of Paris Saint Germain, and saying there is not much money um, from these clubs. A question of how, whether Madrid will be able to go in and spend that. That's their plan. Barcelona in pretty serious financial difficulties and a decision to be made by whoever wins the presidential election on whether they devote money to keeping Messi at the club, um, how many players they can sell at a decent uh, price, how much they can get off their wage bill and and where they will be able to spend in, in the start of their new presidency. French football in a, in a really bad way. Um, and English clubs looking like they're being going to be more careful in the market. You have two nation state clubs in Manchester City and, and Paris Saint-Germain who are kind of immune to this as long as they can uh, find a solution that, that gets um, them through any of the many FFP challenges that those two clubs have faced. So it, spending that kind of money on a centre-back even without transfer fee, is going to be a substantial commitment and clubs where you would have thought would have been likely contenders to sign them a year ago before we, we had the pandemic. I think quite a few of them have dropped out of the running and um, it will be interesting to see how much he has to moderate those wage demands to get his club because what has happened now is he's said publicly that he wants to leave Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich have signed a replacement um, and he now has to make a decision. He will have to sign for someone and he will have to uh, uh, accept 
probably the best salary on offer or take a little bit less salary to go to Spain if that really is his preference if he if he wants to go to play in Spain rather than England. Indeed, and you made reference um, briefly there, Duncan, to uh, Messi, another player who is out of contract this summer at Barcelona. Uh, just a quick mention of uh, the fact that we reported on the earlier podcast this week that Manchester City had reduced their offer to Messi um, by a substantial amount uh, compared to the offer they made to him last summer. Uh, this was, of course, the offer which inspired the now um, infamous Bureau facts when uh, Messi said uh, he wanted to leave Camp Nou and the club that he has played for since the age of 12. Um, you know, I think it's pretty much um, accepted knowledge that if you ask to leave um, Barcelona, it's because you've got an offer somewhere else. Apparently, it was not from Manchester City, um, if you're to believe reports today in certain news media um, outlets, uh, because Manchester City, an unnamed spokesman, has said that they have made no offer to Messi uh, and no proposal uh, either in the January window or indeed last summer. Um, we here at the Transfer Window Podcast, um, because we're nice people, um, have an open invitation to anyone representing uh, the Etihad Club to come on to the podcast and tell us on the record, once and for all, that they have no interest in saying one of the best players in the world because that would be a great story and we'd be happy to carry it. Um, if that's the case, then you know where we are. Please get in touch and uh, indeed we would have a little bit of fun with that. Duncan, we move on to Newcastle United. Uh, and um, kind of strange kind of story in terms of their season. Uh, they started off very well. Steve Bruce, their current coach, uh, has been, let's just say, not wholly accepted by the Geordie faithful. But um, as results have depreciated in terms of points gained, and as they begin to drop towards the possibility of a relegation battle, his future is in doubt. And it's our information, and probably hardly surprising, that Mike Ashley, the current owner of Newcastle United, has been in touch with his former head coach, Rafa Benitez, who has, in the interim time, uh, had a sojourn to uh, manage in the Chinese Super League, but is now back in situ in England and asked Benitez if he'd be willing to return to St James's Park, take over and effectively uh, guide them to safety with regards to ensuring their Premier League status. Uh, this is not obviously going to be a hard sell to... Newcastle supporters who, um, like Liverpool supporters, 
um, certainly have a place in their heart for the Spaniard. Um, but Duncan, there's something more complicated to this story, isn't there? Because obviously there was um, interest in Newcastle for a long time, a potential takeover bid. Um, that fizzled out and was slightly controversial with regards to who the potential new owners were going to be. Um, certainly it's now the case that Ashley is looking to preserve Newcastle's uh, top flight status in order to still sell the club and get the valued um, asset that he believes um, in terms of the amount of money that uh, the club is worth. But in order to do that, maybe Bruce is not the right person, but at the same time, trying to sell a club at a time when perhaps they are going to be relegated uh, is complicating things with regards to not just the head coach's situation, but also the situation of the club as a marketable asset. Yeah, look at they're on a terrible run. I think it's two wins in 13 Premier League games. So you can see why there would be thought from Ashley that um, if he can change coach to someone with proven success at Newcastle um, and keep them in the division and secure the value of the asset, uh, why not explore that? Um, and you know, it would be good for his popularity to whatever extent he's worried about his popularity in Newcastle if he could bring Benitez back. They have Are a- you saying he has popularity? Is that, <laughs> is, that, is that even a thing for me, Gashley in Newcastle? Um, they have a six-point cushion at the moment uh, over Fulham um, and they're 12 points ahead of West Brom so it would look like Fulham are the only club that can realistically overhaul them um, and, and take them down into the championship. Um, Benitez has signalled quite actively that he is interested in coaching in England again and looking for a a job in England. He's briefed a lot of journalists to that effect after um, departing by the famous mutual consent um, from Chinese football. Uh, He's at Dalian for 18 months, just 12 wins in in 38 matches there. So it wasn't a a hugely successful period for him. I think the consideration with Benitez and when you talk about a takeover is obviously the the Saudi bid for Newcastle United, which we talked about in great detail on this podcast, um, which fell apart, um, which was led by Amanda Staveley and, and PCP Capital. Benitez was a factor in that, in that my understanding is that PCP Capital's preferred choice for coach had they managed to get that deal through, would have been Benitez. Now, that's not to say he would necessarily have been appointed because remember that the structure of this was that they would um, take seats on the board, Stavely would run the club day to day, but there would also be positions from the Saudis on the board. So they would kind of be the principal advisor to the Saudis and they would come up with ideas and recommend um, uh, captures, uh, director of football, transfers, also make the recommendations on manager. But it wouldn't necessarily have been the case that the Saudis would have gone with that 
with those recommendations. Um, but if you're Benitez and you've had PCP talking to you and saying, if we expect to get this takeover done, which they did, and you're going to be our choice as manager, so hold off and and um, uh, and and wait and and be ready to take over there. Um, and PCP are still indicating that they think they can make this takeover happen. They're still, until very recently, been indicating that they think they can get the Saudi money back on board, which is something I understand to be unlikely to be the case. Again, Benitez could be thinking that should I go back to Newcastle? The way to do it is to go back with new owners in place rather than with the uh, existing owner who had who I had a very difficult relationship with last time, um, and get myself into that uh, that problem area again. So I I think it's complicated, um, and from what I understand, he's not completely against the idea of taking the job at present, but he's leaning against taking up the offer that Ashley has, uh, has presented to him. Yes, it might take more than the 795 lasagna at the local <laughs> Italian restaurant that um, Mike Ashley bought uh, the last time they had a crisis meeting with both coaching staff and players. Um, however, that would uh, be something that we will report on, of course, and tell you exactly what was on the menu uh, the night that Mike tried to get Rafa to make a return to St. James's Park. Which brings us uh, to the uh, part of the week that we're always looking forward to, and that's the donkey, of course. And um, we're going to do it a little bit differently um, this week. And if it works, then perhaps we'll make it something of a regular feature. Here we go. An anarchist, always a strange pronunciation for me, Duncan, but something which certainly sprung to mind this week when the uh, referee, um, Darren Drysdale, uh, stuck his head in the face of the Ipswich Town player, uh, Alan Judge, uh, during a match. Uh, So therefore, this week's donkey is going to be sponsored by said referee, Darren Drysdale. Um, if you are about to hear a bleep, then you know why, because it's going to be called the F*** Award uh, for doing something that you know you shouldn't, but you go ahead and do it anyway. Um, so, Duncan, um, after that wonderful musical interlude, I'm going to open the golden envelope to see who wins the Darren Drysdale Award. I'm fairly certain unless Mr. Drysdale goes one further. This might be the only time he has an award named after him, Uh, but let's wait and see. Um, So uh, the first nomination is for a reverse uh, assault, as it were, and that is the infamous Paolo Di Canio uh, incident with Paul Alcock when he played for Sheffield Wednesday and pushed the uh, said official over. Uh, Alcock, it has to be said, did all uh, players proud who are guilty of acting in terms of diving. In fact, uh, 
he would probably have gotten a yellow card, Duncan, for simulation. Uh, the referee, that is, um, for the way he went down. Um, we have, of course, and you could not miss this one in the nominations, Eric Cantona for the... Well, can I can I use Minraiola again? <laughs> Minraiolius? Uh, Kung Fu Kick at Crystal Palace. I've got a feeling this might become as popular as Daniel Leverage uh, <laughs> at Crystal Palace. Um, which resulted, of course, in, I think, a six-month ban from playing or thereabouts. And um, and also, we're going to include um, a reference to our top story of today's pod, and that of, is Roy Keane, who, of course, was captain of Manchester United at the time, uh, for his infamous foul on Erling Braut Haaland's Dad, Alf Inga Haaland, um, and it was described in his autobiography as, I thought the ball was there, well, I'm not sure, um, etc. And of course, uh, lots of injuries then uh, happened as a result, including one to Keane himself. Uh, I think it's quite a difficult selection here, Duncan, given the, um, uh, you know, the terms of the category. However, um, Darren Drysdale has inspired us. Who's inspiring you? I, I think this one goes to Roy Keane because um, there's, there's so much stuff around it. Um, the damage he did to Haaland, who says he, he never played a full game of football again. He did play again, but he never played a full match again because of how hard Keane hit him. That, that Keane himself, in this intentional um, act of revenge on on Haaland uh, did his own cruciate ligament uh, <laughs> because he hit him so hard or, or 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 managed to do it in a fashion that he damaged himself in the process that he got a fine and a, a three-game suspension for the initial dismissal and then got a further five games for talking about it in his, his biography. I, I think it... What do they call that in, in Keane's home um, county of Oh, it's Clark, isn't it? He comes from. Yeah. So, so Schadenfreude, yeah. <laughs> Oi, it's Schadenfreude. <laughs> I'm sure they've said that many times in the pubs around Cork about Roy Keane and, and Alan. Anyway, sorry, go on. So, I, I think, uh, I think Roy Keane is, um, is the winner this week. And um, yeah, I, did, I used to play football um, for a team who. who uh, to my great disgrace, wore Celtic shirts in Japan, and uh, one of our star midfielders was a was a huge fan of Roy Keane um, at the time. So, um, I, a special place in my heart as well for for Keane, and uh, I think he deserves his donkey for this one. What's disgraceful about a Japanese team playing in Celtic shirts exactly? A Dundee United supporter playing in Celtic shirts is a disgraceful thing, and I actually have. Uh, and I'll, I'll send you a picture of this. I, as my departing gift when I left Japan um, to to return to the UK and, and start working as a football journalist in, in London um, from my team, the Canto Celts, I got a Celtic shirt with uh, my number on the back and, and the name above the number was Dundee United, which, which I'm told <laughs> caused great consternation at the Celtic um club shop when uh, a friend of mine asked that Dundee United be put the name on the back of one of their shirts <laughs> to be to be flown over to Tokyo. <laughs> now you see, P- 
personally, because I'm that kind of guy, I could easily wear a Dundee United top while playing football for my <laughs> club. Rangers, however. <laughs> Let's just not go there. So, um, there we go. Uh, this week's Dungy goes to Roy Keane. I'm pretty sure that's his second award, if my calculations are correct. Uh, may even be his third. His punditry is certainly attracting a lot of attention, uh, as well as um, our attention here on the Transfer Window podcast. Um, if you have liked what you've heard today, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. You can also subscribe to the Transfer Window podcast on YouTube, turn on all notifications, and you will be first to learn of when the new podcast drops. Of course, we love to engage and discuss everything both on the pod and elsewhere in the game with you. Uh, in doing so, please find us on at Transfer Podcast. Uh, that will be on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as personally, Duncan and I. Um, Duncan's at Duncan Castles, and I'm at Garbo SJ. That's it for another week on the Transfer Window podcast. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed our contribution, uh, and also we hope you enjoyed the weekend's football. Until next week, uh, please stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Yeah.